Hello, Andy. Is this how you want me to talk? No. <laughs> there will definitely be an echo if you eat the mic. So. All right. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of EM Over Easy. I'm Drew Kelno. We got Andy Little and Tanner Gronowski here. Yo. Cheers. Today we're going to talk about something a little different. We're making it a, a little real right from the start. We're going to talk about being the family doctor. And I don't mean family medicine. I mean being the emergency medicine doctor in the family without a bunch of other physicians or maybe with a few other physicians and having to provide medical advice for your friends and family because it's something that we all run into a little bit and uh, you're always going to get that random text of a rash or a uh, laceration going, what do I do? Um, But this is also very real because it can get serious very quickly and and there's been a lot of online chitter chatter recently about medical issues with families. Rob Rogers did an awesome series, both on his own personal medical problems, but also something that happened uh, to his family when he was early in his medical career, talking about how it really affected his, him as a physician. And uh, not to make the room heavy from the start, but this is something that's really real for me. Um, actually, it was my third year of medical school. Um, I got a phone call from my mom late at night, which is really unusual uh, to get a weekday phone call from my mom. And I could just tell by the way she answered the phone when I when I answered that something was bad and she yeah. said she was in uh, the ER with my stepfather and that um, he had something going on in his brain and immediately you get a phone call like that and your heart sinks because it's your family member you know something bad is going on but yeah. then your medical brain immediately kicks into high gear and you what the heck is going on yeah. and it's probably the worst type of differential diagnosis because you're not there you're not taking care of the patient yeah. you're not doing the actual assessment you're not seeing the imaging and it it sets you ablaze, and I don't think there's any other way to describe it. It yeah. sets you ablaze. Sure. Yeah. So what I found out was he was playing tennis, freak accident, slipped on a tennis ball, fell backwards, hit his head. He was okay for a minute, then started to have a really bad headache, threw up, and then basically lost consciousness as far as him being able to really interact, but was able to interact enough where he was able to like squeeze my mom's hand on the ambulance ride to the hospital yeah. and uh, try to spell some words out on her hand with his finger and by the time he was fully in the ER he was completely unresponsive yeah. CT scan looks bad I forget what it actually read MRI which he was at a major tertiary care academic center in downtown Chicago so they were able to get an MRI pretty quickly and it turns out he had a uh, basilar artery dissection cerebellar infarct and a few other issues going on from there didn't pass away right away. He actually uh, survived for about two weeks with some moments that looked like things were going to turn around and some moments where things looked like they were really bad. And I was the only person in the family that had any medical knowledge. And at this point, I didn't have good medical knowledge. Say, you, at that point, you're you're dangerous because you have some knowledge, but you don't know the context of a lot of it. Right. And so you, you're terrified because you know stuff, but you don't know enough. Right. Yeah. I know that this is bad. I know that the glimmers of hope aren't really that hopeful because people go through these waxing and waning. But family wants me to describe everything going on. I'm not, to this day, I couldn't describe it. I'm not a neurosurgeon. I really couldn't describe it as a third-year medical student. And the end result was my stepfather passing away, um, an incredible man. But the hard part was how to deal with your own emotions and explain to your family at the same time what's going on. Yeah. And I don't have an answer for that, but that's the end-all, be-all of why this is real. And why this matters so much. Because this is going to happen at some point in our lives. So we're going to have a family member close to us have something bad happen to them. And we are going to have to be the family doctor. And in this case, the family doctor, not because we can fix anything, call in a prescription for Zofran, suture up a lip laceration on a a kiddo, 
but because we're going to have to take care of our family, both as the physician in the family yeah. and also, at that point, probably the family leader. So, I, That's 100% true. I mean, there's two spectrums of this. There's the little ditzel things like we kind of talked about in the beginning with rashes, cuts, etc. But then there's this really real, real stuff at the end that, on the other end, that's very... Um, it's tough to deal with, and I've definitely had a few conversations um, in, a, in a much more difficult scenario, kind of like your, not as bad as yours, but where people are talking about end-of-life stuff, and they're worried, and they don't know the answers and questions, and they just don't have the context to put it in. Unfortunately, part of our job is we deal with end-of-life care, and we deal yeah. with having to make hard decisions sometimes, and... Um, you know, recently had a had a good conversation with a family member who was struggling with something like that, and it was it was good, but it was also hard because you have to deliver it in a way that is not like. I mean, as physicians, it's very easy for us to see when something is. Uh, we have a patient in front of us. We know they're not going to make it back. To say, yeah. all right, anybody have any other ideas? Okay, code's over. Sure. Time yeah. of death. Yeah. But when it becomes a family member, it's a much different scenario, and you have to yeah. tread lightly, and you have to yeah. present it in a good light. And, well, and you also have to think about what you're going to say because, I don't know, I had a similar instance where we're talking end-of-life care for a family member, and I have to come across as not the 14-year-old version of myself that everybody really remembers me as because uh, it was with an older sibling, and when they left the house, I was 14, and so most of their memory is from 14 and under, and, um, and how do you have that conversation both professionally to where you don't come across as that young, cocky version of yourself to where they just discredit what you say but to where I'm you say something meaningful. pretty sure I'm still that young, cocky version of myself, so really I don't have to worry about anything. <laughs> don't worry about that. Um, but at the same time, how do you say it in such a tactful way to where they get on your side about that? Sure. How, how do they get on your team? And I think that Drew brought up something that's really important is that, you know, because you're taking care of your family as a, as a son, as a brother, as, you know, I'm a family member, but then as a physician, we are also sometimes the equivalent of like a translator for these people. Is yeah. They're going to get all this information from a specialist that you might not understand, but they're going to expect you to spit out an answer in layman terms. And we had a perfect example during that situation where the entire family was in the room and, and it was a, a neurosurgeon, I think it was a senior resident at that point or a fellow or something like that, and pulled up the MRI and chose an area of the brain and describes it as being brighter. And so everybody that has in my family didn't have any medical experience because brighter brighter is thought of something as good right it's brighter it's not dark it's this is great there's activity there's something this is good yeah. brighter on an MRI is not good <laughs> yeah no brighter on MRI is is worse right yeah. but what had happened was the translation was during this 10 minute talk from the neurosurgeon talking about this area that was brighter and was changing and all that oh man he's describing something that is worse yeah but explain it in a way that is interpreted by my family as being good Yes. Only for me to then go, guys, this was not what you thought it was. This is not good. And for them to have these few minutes of hope and excitement and things are moving the right direction, to have that completely ripped away from them yeah. because there was a mistranslation. Yeah. That's all it was. This is, this is like your, your Somali or your Spanish translator telling you the wrong thing on the, on the, the translation line. That's yeah. exactly what it was. Yeah, exactly. Same thing. And yeah. it, it, it created this... I mean, talk about a tailspin. Yeah. I mean, this is this is real, and this is what our job often becomes as the the family doctor in yeah. those serious situations. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of light situations too. Now, I, to take the thirty thousand foot view of all this, I think we do this when we're not interacting with our own families too. Sometimes, and I think this is kind of the bridge in emergency medicine. So. I try very hard not to get emotionally attached to what's going on with my patients, but yeah. there's, there's times that you can't help it's it. It's almost right? impossible. It's going to happen. You, you see a kid that's about your kid's age or a family that reminds yeah. you of your family or a situation that, for whatever reason, pulls at your heartstrings, and you find yourself in a situation where you have no real connection to the family other than this, for whatever reason, some little emotional yeah. attachment. 
and they ask you a question that is beyond really the emergency medicine scope of care, but it's a legitimate medical question, and now you're, you're in the situation of giving them advice. And it's not really medical advice. It's like family advice. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really hard to do, too. Yeah. Because you're trying to implant yourself into this patient's family dynamic yeah. and give that give that advice. That's definitely a tough one. I, I really try on those ones to give them disclaimer like, hey, this is this is beyond my scope. I don't know what this kind of surgery is. Or I don't know exactly what they're going to need. Yeah. I know they need something. And if they have a question of whether they should or should not do something, I'll, I'll tell them as honestly as I can. No different than I would tell my yeah. family. Uh, I think it... That's definitely one of those tough scenarios where you don't really have advice, but you have advice. Yeah. Right. And you can even have those instances with, with family. I mean, I remember my, my, my sister-in-law was diagnosed with a rare bleeding disorder that with her first pregnancy and then her second pregnancy, they, it, they confirmed that it was actually a form of B-cell lymphoma, and she's undergoing this chemo. And I was a fourth-year medical student. I get a call from my mother-in-law asking me to, to translate what the oncologist said. And so the oncologist actually gets on the phone with me and tells me what they're going to do, and then they hand the phone back to my mother-in-law, and I'm like, it sounds like they know what they're doing. Well, is that all you had to say? I'm like, I don't know what this guy's talking about. <laughs> and, it's, and it's being willing to admit that I don't know much more than what I've told you. We're gonna, you're, you have good expert consultation with you. Take their advice. I'll go home and research on it. But I'm not going to give you some blanket yes-no question no. off of an answer that I just I feel uncomfortable putting myself out there and talking outside of my, my scope of practice. That's probably the, the curse of the emergency medicine doc, because yeah. we know just enough to be dangerous, and then... <laughs> and about everything, yeah. <laughs> once, it, once it gets to a little more depth, you we're like, uh, yeah, can we consult somebody? <laughs> yeah, like, so this is the issue that, that we run into a lot, so we, we can, we, let's move to a little lighter conversation yeah. here, but families, family asks us questions, and the expectation is we know it all. Yeah, you are a doctor, true. you know all. All yeah. of medicine. You went to all that medical school and did <laughs> yes. all that. You have all that debt. You most know most other stuff. doctors don't even really consider me to be a doctor. Let's be honest. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I, if, if there was a different, <laughs> I'm a resuscitationist, right? Yeah. Like that yeah. is that is my job, yeah. and in a in a triage triager, I guess is, yeah. is like those are my two two roles. I don't really practice medicine the way other people practice medicine. It's true, and they expect us to have these answers about you know other things, and I'm going to have this surgery. What are the complications? What's it going to be like? <laughs> like, guys. In my entire medical school career, I did one block of surgery, and since yeah. then I've been in the OR five times. And right? oh, by the way, the most of that was holding up a fat flap or right. d driving a camera. I was two two extra sets of hands, just or an extra set of hands, just because. I'm sorry, you've been you've had to be in the OR five times since medical school. That's a lot. <laughs> that is a lot. That is a lot. Well, one time was just to do vaginal wall retraction, so I don't even consider that anything special. <laughs> yeah. But but, it's, but that's that's the situation we run yeah. into. It's like, I, guys, I, I got nothing for you. Sorry. Yeah. Let me. The only thing I have is I have institutional access to up to date. Yes. Stand by. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know. And I think that's an appropriate answer. Is I don't know, but I will get you an answer. Because we because we can look at like one big issue with my family recently was is that there was a family member who was concerned about the flu shot, and so they sent out this this uh, this blog post from you know Bob's Bob, Bob's grass seed. Um, uh, blog was about Jenny McCarthy or whoever no no but it, but it was linked to that it was linked oh, to that okay. article um, and so like it was really like this was this was our concern about flu shots and so I said you know what I'll go find some articles and I had I went to PubMed and looked up articles I went to the CDC's website and if anything Dude. else I was equipped with the power to know what to look for good information but, but, spit it back. but they don't know the authors of your articles they don't and, and all those citations at the end are just extra pages right yeah, yeah. but Jenny McCarthy that is a reliable resource. We know we've seen her. One yeah. of my favorite things I've witnessed this 
year was one of our other residents, that's like his thing. He loves to go on Facebook and see these like posts that get blown up and people are sharing left and right and like yeah. this is amazing. And he loves to go online, find actual evidence and then write a huge long monologue rant about how that post is terrible and here's real resources. Yeah. That's yeah. like his favorite thing in the world to do. Yeah. But, but, but that's somewhat where we're going to have to like quell against the storm. You know, I, I found that in my family, um, I've become the bike helmet and car seat person. Like, I have to remind people of uh, why. Just, that's just a brain bucket, man. Why are you wearing a bike helmet? <laughs> Thanks, Drew. I feel like you've talked to my brother before. Um, By the way, <laughs> always wear your helmet. Yeah. I do not support my previous statement. Um, but but you, you have to become a, you kind of become that guy as the, as the family physician because there's things that people are going to be like, oh, this isn't that big of a deal. And I'm like, actually, it is kind of a big deal. Well, in, in reality, we all went into medicine, for the most part, to yeah. help people. Yeah. And who, to, who is better to help than your own family? Exactly. Yes. We like to do this stuff when we can. So speaking of family, what is the weirdest thing your family has asked you from a medical standpoint? I know Andy has an answer. Uh, he always has an answer to these kind of questions. I will be completely honest. I have not been asked a lot by my family, and it, it kind of frustrates me. I've vented to my mom multiple times about how nobody respects I've spent you. hundreds of thousands of dollars on my education, and nobody will ask me anything. So I don't have a great story. My wife asks me questions all the time. <laughs> and then tells me my answers are wrong. <laughs> I have, she, she's definitely she's the, that. She's Do your the, wife and my wife go to the same dojo? I feel they like do. they go to the same yeah. dojo. She is, she is what we learned about in, uh, in, in medical school during manipulation is the maverick. Yeah. Nothing actually applies to her. Her body is different than every other <laughs> human body in the entire world. Her blood flows actually backwards. Honey, should I take this I'm medicine? Sure. No, you shouldn't. Well, it works for me once. It's not going to work. Right, right. It, it'll work, I promise. So, okay. so weirdest thing, Andy. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I had this... It was actually this last year. I went to go visit my parents, uh, had a random weekend off, went down there. My brother happened to be there. And my sister-in-law, as I walk in the door, she's like, hey, go look at your brother. I think he's got the flu. But I think he's also being kind of a pansy. And so I go in there. My brother is, you know, I'm Caucasian, um, and he is white as a sheep. And my brother, of all of our siblings, he looks a little more tan than the rest of us. Um, and, and to be whiter than Andy is actually a small feat. Yes, yes. It is hard to Large be whiter than feet, me. actually. Large. Thank you. Freaking hate no you. small feet, sorry. <laughs> um, and so I walk in the room, and he is just white as a sheet. And so I start asking him questions, and they come in, and they're like, oh, he's just got the flu. And I'm like, oh, there's something wrong here. And he's tachycardic, and I take his blood pressure, and his blood pressure is kind of like, meh. And so... Um, Wait, do you have a sphygmomanometer in your car or something? You mean a blood pressure cuff? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's in my little doctor bag. You don't have a doctor bag that you carry with you everywhere? I do not carry a doctor bag with me everywhere. I do have one, though. It's in my car. That's... In the trunk of my car, and so I check his blood pressure. It's a little like meh, and then like I start going through questions, and and even my my dad, who was a physician's assistant, is there, and we're talking about what this could be, and finally I get really uncomfortable, and I'm like, what's your poop look like? And my sister-in-law is like, just got I, real. I've got to leave. This conversation <laughs> just got way too deep. And so my brother goes, well, it's been black for like a week, but that's that's okay, right? Maybe I ate something weird, and I was like, that's not okay. And so I was like, look, you can either go to the hospital here where my dad lives, or we can drive Please back the hour and a half to my tell house. Tell me you gave your brother a rectal exam? A rectal no. exam. Okay, thank you. And so, and so we, we. That would have ended this conversation. Lick, lick the index finger. <laughs> oh, God. So, we elect, so we, we elect to drive back to the hospital where I work. Um, and so I walk in, and I'm like, hey, guys, I need a room. And everybody looks at my brother and goes, room 19. And we just roll my, because he just looks like crap. Um, and so sure enough, he had, he had a GI bleed. Um, one, of, one of my co-residents at the time and uh, same year, uh, Charles Frommelt, he actually was once took care of my brother, um, oh, yeah. and, uh, which he gave great, great care. I have nothing but good things to say about uh, the team that took care of him. And he ended up having a hemoglobin of five, um, had three or four bleeding ulcers. 
um, was admitted to the hospital, got transfused blood, like just the whole whole shebang. But it was truly one of those like kind of aha moments where if I hadn't go visit my mom and dad, he probably would have sort of gone home and thought, oh, this is not a big deal. I've got the flu, gone to work. And then, you know, how many times have we seen people that when we resuscitate them, you see black still coming out of their bottom because they just get to where they go into cardiopulmonary arrest. So it's truly one of those, like, I was able to stave off from the storm of this getting significantly worse by having some medical knowledge and being able to be an advocate for my brother. So it was, um, I don't know if that really goes into the, the That's not question. weird. That's not weird. That's not weird. That's a good story. story. That was legit. I mean, the next, like you saved pro- pro- Probably the next story one is I just get this random text from the same brother who has six kids. He, he's going to love this episode. By the way. A week after they have their sixth kid, he's like, hey, you got a ball man? And I was like, uh, what? What?" And he's like, you know, a guy, a guy that cuts the balls. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, somebody who can do my, my uh, vasectomy. I was like, oh, you mean a urologist? And so it was just like this, but it was just random like string of text to get to. He wanted a, a consult for Like, I don't understand what you're saying. I don't know what a ball man is. Like a ball boy? Like football? Like deflate the balls? Like deflate gate? Like I, I wasn't sure where he was going with that. So, yeah, Tom Brady. That's my ball, man. That's my ball, man. Deflate gate. Yeah. I'm kind of a Tanner's boat. I don't get a whole lot of uh, medical questions. Mainly my family don't really trust me as a doctor, so they wouldn't actually value my advice. I do get the random pictures that are forwarded on by my wife of her her friends, mainly their husbands, doing something stupid and ending up with a big knot on the back of their head going, does he need to go to the ER? You know, things like that. So the few times I have gotten things, though, they'll send me a photo or a text and with some esoteric question or photo that's hard to discern anything my recommendation is actually facetime because you can get a little live live video feed you can say if that rash you can say okay poke it for me and they poke it and you can see it blanches and all that kind of stuff so live video feed goes much better in terms of it's like telemedicine i like it it's a great idea so uh, we've run run a big gamut on being the family doc a couple things wrapping up and in medicals we Medical school and even the beginning of residency, you kind of hear the uh, don't be your family's doctor kind of thing. Yay or nay, you'll write prescriptions for your family. If I see them as a patient, I will write them a prescription if I think it's necessary. If I don't see them, probably not. Yeah, I'm I'm the same with Tanner. If I I can't physically see them, the answer is typically no. And if I do see them, I actually have a little three-by-five card um, that I actually have a little folder. I mean, it's empty as of current, but I have it, like, set up to where, okay, this is who I saw. This is what I did. That way, like, not that anything's ever going to happen, but if something happens, um, I'm not not out in the cold. Yeah. I mean, I think it's reasonable for basic prescriptions to to write something or to give a little bit of advice, but if it's anything that sounds serious, you definitely got to... Oh, yeah. Stage right. in the right way. You know, if someone's like, hey, no I'm, narcotics, oh. nothing like that. This is all just like, I don't, I don't write my patients' narcotics very often. So that's true. That's true. I don't either. And, and I think one thing that I have kind of a, especially mom, if you're listening to this, go to your family doctor. Because um, that's kind of like my go to is, do you have a family doctor? If the answer is yes, did you call them? And if they didn't, I kind of troubleshoot, like, do you think you can get in? And if they can't, then I'll stay on the phone a little bit longer. But at the end of the day, like, most of my family have family doctors, and that's what they're there for. Because I don't want to undervalue the fact that, oh, just because a member of your family became a doctor, you should usurp your family doctor or your pediatrician or your specialist. Because if you have them, you should go see them because that's what they get paid for. Absolutely. Any any big don'ts when interacting with your family? I, I actually would say don't belittle their concerns. Because just like we were talking about earlier, they don't know any better sometimes. And I, I had an interaction actually with my wife the other night where she was asking me a question and said, I feel like something's wrong. And I went, nothing's wrong. You're fine. And about 10 minutes later, dun, I dun, realized dun. that was a terrible answer. Because in the ER mindset, nothing was wrong. She was fine. Yeah, she was but an ESR 5.9. 
Yeah, but it does not mean that something isn't wrong with the person. So treat them like a patient, but don't let the emergency medicine mindset cloud you. Couldn't agree more. Andy, any don'ts? Yeah, I, I would stick to the um, don't speak out of your knowledge base. Um, it's really, really easy as a family member to um, you know, disagree with somebody or say, oh, that, that's ridiculous. But understand that when, they, when people get advice from other specialties, those are from specialists. They're not from generalists. They're not from emergency medicine physicians. So if you don't understand what they're asking you to answer or you don't necessarily feel like you have enough knowledge about the subject, just say, you know, I don't really know. I'll go try to find out for you and see if what they're saying is true or not true. But at the moment, I really can't say anything more than you have to trust with what your specialist or what your doctor says. Yeah, I do a lot of uh, when I have significant medical questions, looking up something and forwarding uh, links and articles some good information onto I found. family yeah. that is very readable, good patient education information. It's uh, it's pretty killer. Guys, anything else wrapping this episode up? I think my summary is you're going to be the family doctor, but do your best to not be the family doctor in those situations. Uh, and good luck navigating the situation when, when you're in it. So uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. I can't wait to talk to you next time for Tanner, Andy, and Drew. See you later. See ya. See ya.